Brian. Konnichiwa, Brian. Speak Japanese. So happy to be here on the podcast with you in the uh, 31st floor of the uh, Shinjuku Hotel that we're staying in. Um, what just happened, dude? We got we got a couple. We got we got Colton Stew zipping up packages here. They're leaving the studio because they're gonna. What are you guys gonna do? You gonna go for a walk? Enjoy. Some, yeah. When was the last time you were outside in fresh air? Yeah, I went 39 hours with no oxygen. Um, basically, uh, Sam Shepard in the movie Moon. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> Searching for long-range comps. Uh, anyway, Brian, we're going to talk about oxygen, actually, aren't we? Yeah, I got a lot of feedback. Hanging on. All right, we're back. That's I've, I've installed the new XLR cable. Man, I I mean, I was going to try to do just a pod with you, but I feel like we, you and I need to basically wrap up yeah. what the hell just happened. Yeah. What just happened? Debrief on the past two days, yeah. Let's, let's do it together. First um, first of all, I'm just so happy to be... Uh, I, it, it was a bit stressful for me to host that thing. You handled it well. Thank you. Yeah, you handled it well. This it, was, uh, I think the, uh, the way in which the USGA kind of set this up was golf doesn't look the same to everybody. Right. And uh, I think you brought that perspective well with the, the videos. And so, yeah, I was, I was pretty cool about it. Brian, first of all, Brian's referring to these videos I made for the USGA, the team and I. Um, but you're probably wondering, who's Brian? Who is Brian? Brian, I'm going to fix your mic. First of all, before we tell you, there you go. We're, we're uh, Brian, who are you? You're from Minnesota, and you love golf. Uh, I do love golf, yeah. I, I don't love golf for the, the um, playing golf. I love the walk. You don't actually play golf, or what? I do. Oh. You're... I don't, but I don't love golf because of the competition of golf. I love golf because the ability to be outside. And, I mean, I grew up uh, mowing greens on a golf course. Uh, and so that early morning at 5 a.m., the dew, the deer cruising across the fairway, you turn the mower off, sun's starting to come up, and then you just have nature. I'm hearing feedback. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, I think we have finally fixed the uh, feedback issue. I've, re- I've rerouted all the little XLR cables here in this mm-hmm. Japanese hotel room. There's nothing touching anymore. There's nothing touching. Now we're on different channels. So if you're listening to the headphones, probably was a very strange experience <laughs> to have the stereo feed flip. And maybe you're insane. Um, but Brian was telling us all, you and me, about how you um, enjoy the walk. I do enjoy the walk. That, that kind of is my connection. Um, I enjoy the nature. I enjoy the walk. I enjoy the green grass. I enjoy the smell of it. But you're... I can't explain to the people listening. If you're listening, I cannot explain to you what the experience is right now. We were basically in a think tank with like un- down in it for days. Uh, incubator, yes. Incubator. <clears throat> yeah. The, the ideas that were being thrown out and the things that people were trying globally uh, to support golf. And I, I'm going to stay away from the word game because we were just told that at the very end here as we were digesting the whole two days, you know, the, the game of golf, let's just talk, talk about it as golf. Right. Um, yeah, no, it was, it, we were incubating on just some really amazing ideas. Originally, I met Brian in the lobby of the, um, uh, of this, of the USGA Innovation Symposium. This is the fifth one. And uh, we started talking and I think probably two sentences into your words, I said, hang on, let's do a podcast. And this was yesterday. And I think, you know, a lot of the, you probably are aware that there are about a dozen podcasts recorded that are sitting in a vault on a, for a rainy day. Obviously we've done some with Cheyenne Woods, um, you know, other, other great thinkers in the, in the golf space that are just sort of waiting. And, and so I thought Brian and I were going to come here and do a podcast about your work, which is why you were brought here. And I do want to do that, but I but I also really do want to take the time with you to just like decompress as a friend, as a colleague. Right? I mean, we don't yeah. we don't know each other no. really, but you're from I Minnesota. Like yeah, I'm from Minnesota. Yeah, and, that, and that's nice. Uh, it is Minnesota nice. Very yeah. You betcha. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. So I guess um, by way of introduction, uh, everybody listening probably wants to know who Brian is. Yeah. And and would you mind introducing yourself? So I'm Brian Horgan. 
I'm a professor at the University of Minnesota. I work in the Department of Horticultural Science, and I study turf grass. So, okay, guys, I see the look. Yeah, the look is good. (laughs) No, no, the look is just, I'm still relieved to be done. Not not that it was painful, but it was just a lot. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, I mean... Well, the expectations on you were different. Well, we don't need to we don't need to unpack that. Okay. We, can, we can do it at the bar. Well, it sounds like you might need it. Yeah, I might. I might. But uh, but turf grass in is um, is something that all golfers love. Uh, all all green grass golfers love it. Yeah. Ooh, what is the distinction you just oh, made? Oh, come on, seriously. The whole idea of the of the um, those that don't participate in grass uh, in golf uh, on a course where the grass is growing. But, I mean, every golfer loves grass. Yeah. It, even if it's just a concept to them. Well, we just saw uh, today about uh, in in France, the short courses that are all made up of uh, artificial turf. Yeah. Um, so that would be a non-green grass golf course. Right. More feedback. I just heard it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on yeah. mentally not having yeah. feedback. Um, you You said some things that immediately struck me. And it was the idea, basically, I mean, do you think about Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, at, at points, I do. So, obviously, uh, I'm not, exp- the full story is Malcolm Gladwell did a podcast, I uh, believe the name of the podcast is Revisionist History, mm-hmm. and it was the first episode of the second season, and he basically bashes golf, uh, saying that there's the only benefit is for golfers and they're private and they're using a tax loophole, yada, yada, yada. He later admitted, and I've talked about this many times on the pod, uh, he later admitted on another podcast, Jeff Shackelford, that he was using, employing a tactic, uh, clickbait, right? And that's all fine, but yeah. but we're now here to... For, Brian, I invited on the podcast for, you know, um, the, the initial in, inspiration was to point in the in the other direction so that environmentalists could potentially look at the game of golf in a more uh compelling way yeah it's 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 a community connection and that's kind of where i'm going with this now it's uh i i love the research that we're doing around the the value of the asset which is a golf course Uh, and that value exists other than for recreational value so how do we describe that how do we build uh, capacity around that. Um, and that's ultimately where we're at right now. So golf courses are of greater value than just being there for recreation. And how do we tell that story as a golfer? What do you mean? So a a golfer has a benefit to non-golfers. A (laughs) non-golfer has greater, uh, receives greater benefit than just being, than just the golf course being there for the golfer. I think I may have said that wrong. I don't know what I just said, but A golf course has a innate benefit to non-golfers. Correct. Right. And that that I don't understand. Yeah. So, um, so golf courses are are, are cooling me- mechanisms. Golf courses are um, big stormwater retention areas. Golf courses recharge aquifers. Golf courses are 150 acres of continuous green space that that make up large urban green spaces in city centers. Uh, golf courses sequester carbon. Go- golf courses uh, abate noise. Uh, golf courses. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, golf courses are um, uh, help to control dust and air pollution. So those things are fascinating to think about, and a non-golfer will recognize those values if you display it without using the word golf. Right. So instead of being like, here's an 18 hole course that you have to pay to use. You lost him. You lost him when you said 18 hole course. Right. So what do you say? It's the urban green space. Whoa. It has nothing to do with golf. It has nothing to do with golf, but golf is the mechanism that we're studying because we have to find ways to describe the product differently. But is it part of this? The problem is that with golf courses themselves, they're only allowing golf to be executed on their grounds? Sure. I mean, from an asset management perspective or an asset utilization perspective, it's an underutilized asset. At no point in time is the capacity of that facility being utilized to its maximum amount. Ever? No. 
why what 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 would that look like if it was um you would have golf being played all day all the time <laughs> honestly mm-hmm. i'm in yeah i mean that that would be a utilized asset but but there's always gaps in time there's always you know there's always tea times that from tuesday from one to four o'clock in the afternoon nothing goes on out there that's interesting. Why don't they just make it free golf at that point? Perfect. Make it free golf or make it that's where you bring your community in. Yeah, that's so strange. There's the, uh, Same with the driving range. Uh, but people love to talk about their driving ranges making up so much making so much money. But you drive by it and there's one guy out there. So what could that driving range be? Well, that's your, that's your three-hole loop for your kids program. Shut it down. I mean, what, what other sport and venue is available literally in the summer 14 hours a day for when you want to go use it at your discretion that's a really good point i mean if you're only going to pay 10 bucks for a bucket or five and you're freaking out that they're closed because there's kids playing golf like go find some other place to go yeah like yeah. make some competition yeah yeah absolutely that's yeah. a really or, or like why isn't there a driving range with a restaurant underneath it i mean well i guess i wouldn't want to have the roof with balls being hit on it but you're right. Like, like, look, look, can we come up with an alternative use for a driving range that allows? We could sit here every day of the week and look at a newspaper or listen to the news or talk to your friends and come up with a dozen ideas every day of what that golf course could be used and how it could be used differently. I'm not saying get away from golf by any means. Oh, in addition. I'm just saying that there are things that we could do on 150 acres in the middle of a city uh, when that asset's not being fully utilized. Yeah, it's like packing your suitcase with a with a with a uh, little tiny bottle of cologne. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of room in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you put a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, so so, how did you come into this? How did you? When did this become the question that you're going to spend this portion of your life answering? Uh. Four years ago, we embarked on an idea and a concept to build Golf Lab. Golf Lab was a concept that we were going to take over the University of Minnesota's golf course, and we were going to retrofit it into an innovation center that drove the industry into the future, the industry of golf. And so all of the different ideas we heard about these last day and a half were going to be all in one spot. People could come see it, touch it, feel it, play it and learn how to program it. And so as we were building this idea around Golf Lab, the USGA and the University of Minnesota formed a formal research partnership. And I had a list of different ideas and concepts that I wanted to study. And the natural capital value of urban green spaces as golf courses was one of the priority spots that I wanted to study. So three years ago, when our partnership was ongoing or st- had just gotten going, um, we started this. We, we, we found the right people. We found the right team. Uh, we're surrounded by really freaking smart people. And, uh, and they're running with it. We're running with it. And so what an opportunity. Oh, everything came into, in, into play and into place at such an opportune time. And, and I really do believe that, that through this work and through the partnership with USGA, um, that we will find and identify, first of all, a dozen more questions that we're going to want to answer. But we're going to solve something here, and we're going to change the dialogue and the communication for those that really are critical of that facility being used for that four-letter word. Are people really critical? Absolutely. What do they say? Well, why do you have to water that? You're putting all the pesticides down on there? I don't want my kid out there. They're going to get sick. I don't drive by golf courses because there's stuff in the air. Why are, why are, is that land being utilized? How controversial can we get here? As much as you want. Why is that land being utilized for the white guy that's privileged and has a shit ton of money? It can be used for so many other things. So controversy exists in golf, um, and I'm trying to reposition. This project is trying to reposition it as value, not as something that people just point fingers at. 
Well, it seems like one of the things that would help reposition without changing much is obviously, and this is something that I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening and and anyone would really agree, opening the gates, uh, making the game more accessible for everybody, decreasing the amount of what Ben Warren called um, silly rules, I believe, or something. Some some mm-hmm. really funny way he ended up describing the rules of golf, not, not the rules of golf, but the and etiquette of golf that's a bit intense that's hard to learn and turns people off i mean opening opening that up does it, but that does all that doesn't really solve the problem you're looking at well that uh, uh what benjamin's uh, focused on or thinking about is is uh the inclusivity um and trying to break down barriers to access golf uh I, i'm really I'm really trying not to worry about whether it's about golf. The pollinator habitat and the potential with with the the huge global issue we're having with pollinator habitat. We have identified that golf courses are a great foraging ground for pollinators. And pollinators travel. So there's an area of influence that exists around a golf course that pollinators go out to do their thing and then they come back. A pollinator is a bee. A bee, butterfly, yeah, lot, you know, insects that 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 actually pollinate plants. Yeah. Got it. I never heard it called that. What? A pollinator. Uh, well, there's different pollinators. Right, but I get, I get, I'm just, I'm just making sure because I'm not, <laughs> I'm assuming I am. No, no, yeah. you're good. Yeah. You're good. You're good. So, so this idea that the habitat exists, uh, I look at it this way: there's four walls that exist around a golf course. It's contained. Its value is contained because no one who doesn't participate in golf ever go onto that property. Right. Uh, so, so now let's change it from contained to blended. The, uh, the example I'll use is with bees. The golf course is, is really proud of the fact that they're growing a bee. They have an active bee colony and, and they're making honey. And the honey is used by the, the kitchen to make really good muffins. The value of the bees is contained within the club because it's used for the members. The pollinators themselves, the bees, they don't just make honey. They go out and do their thing too. And they go out and, 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 and blend into the community. So by just changing the dialogue that my golf course is a habitat for pollinators, changes it from contained for just the membership to then the community receiving value from it. What's even better is if it's, it's not just blended, it's engaged, where the community looks to the golf course and says, gosh, you guys are a really good habitat for bees. Can we do more so that we can increase the pollinator habitat for our entire community? So we go from contained to blended to engaged in a service, and that service is around pollinator habitat. So what's the ideal, like, uh, mixed-use community-benefiting scenario? I mean, you must have come up with, like, the ultimate sweet spot. Well, it's, water is where we're at right now. I mean, the focus, it, it's been great to look at the urban heat island effect, and it's been great to look at the pollinator, but it's about water uh, where we have driven uh, most of our research um, around this natural capital idea. Whether, it's, whether you're, uh, a golf course is the biggest rain garden for the community, um, we've, we've heard that term used before. I don't know what that is. Rain garden is a place that accepts water and keeps it from going into the street instead of it going in the street in the sewer and then being treated or discharged into some lake. Because the street, it gets dirty? Uh, because then it's a waste. It's a loss. Because it goes in the sewer and... And then it gets discharged some other spot. So in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, everything, Minneapolis and St. Paul, everything is connected with gutter systems, sewer gutter systems. And so water that goes in the street goes in the gutter and then it gets eventually into the Mississippi River. Then it's in the Gulf of Mexico. Really? So it's it's then a, it's then a loss. So is the Mississippi just filled? Is the Mississippi River just filled with dirt? No. Like soup cans and soda bottles and stuff. I don't. We, is there do, a filter? Because I'm just thinking of litter. Like, isn't there litter on the street, and then it just kind of goes into the sewer, and it's just sort of like a strainer? That, that's a very interesting uh, perception. I. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know. I live we, in Los Angeles. Yeah, we don't have that issue yeah, of you're, litter. You're clean up there. Yeah. Both, uh, you know, both <laughs> like is how you live. And anyway, um, but the rain garden. So, so water flows into a property or water that lands on the property stays on the property. 
And when I say stay on the property, there's water features, but then there's also soil. And the soil is like a big gas tank. We heard about that from Dana Lawn, our Toro friend, yes. talking about the fuel gauge of soil. You know, soils can accept so much water. And how do you know that? Well, you know that through sensors and technology. Yeah. I digress. Water hits a property and can go into the soil. And eventually, once it gets down beyond plant roots, it then continues to migrate down and it can recharge aquifers. Whoa. So now you are recharging what is being pulled and used for consumer use, water. We are now figuring out ways to direct water onto golf facilities so that we can have value as an aquifer recharger. So what you're talking about, you're not talking about water usage. You're talking about... Mostly filtration and cleaner water. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an example... I mean, this is blowing <clears throat> my mind. There, there, I, you know, surrounding a golf course, there's there's sub-watersheds, you know, uh, uh, places where water moves from point A to point B. Um, if, if it's possible for us to direct water from point A to point B where B is on the golf course and A is not, now I'm doing a public utility service because I'm not driving that water from point A into a street where it has to be routed through sewers that are infrastructure that require replacement over time. I'm driving water into a biological system, filtering it through a soil, and letting it go down into the aquifer. That seems like a relatively small benefit. <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm just, I'm just, I'm curious. The, what? The fact that we're recharging aquifers with water on, that goes through a golf course? I'm not arguing. I'm literally saying I don't know. Because I, I guess I'm saying, like, how how long would it take for a golf course, right, is really expensive. Okay. How long would it take for it to return that burden? You know what I mean? The burden being that, that the golf course has to be designed such to accept water? Uh, well, I didn't even think of that. But <laughs> what I was thinking, I'm, I'm, we're just, I'm like, not on your level. I guess I get, there's so much okay. I need to, uh, well, I, then, I should do research. But what I mean is, like, I, I'm I'm just saying like the benefit of not putting water in the sewer to be um, to to, the, to to route the water away. Yeah, yeah. The, the benefit of not having the water go in the sewer to avoid needing to replace that system. Okay, got your point. Yeah, and and, and you're you're right. You know, um, uh, the replacement cost of that infrastructure is probably not impacted by that 10 million gallons. That's coming from that one sub watershed. A lot of gallons, first of all. Well, but there's you're saying that there's way that that's one of the smaller benefits of having a place for the water to go. Well, yeah. And so just take your your point right there. Ten million gallons is a lot, and the average golf course in Minnesota uses twenty five million gallons a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, how if, much is twenty five million gallons? What does that look like? Do you know? Um, is, it, is it like a one of those um, water reservoirs? Like the the what do they call those things? It's not that big. It's not that much. Oh. It is, but it's not. Okay, so I'm talking about the one that's like that made out of metal that's got the town's name on it. You know what I mean? Welcome to whatever. Yeah, the, the water tower. Yeah, water tower. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I mean, did you? You know, are lost. It took you a second. <laughs> yeah, because my mind's not there either. We're a bit fried. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, water tower. How many how many gallons is that? Don't know. It can't be twenty five thousand. No, it's got it's got to be a couple thousand. No, it's got to be more than that because yeah. it's capacity for a city. Wow, maybe. Maybe you know what a just... water tower is used for and why they're built? No. Um, for fire. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, in case the plumbing goes down, mm-hmm. they've got gravity to pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that you have access. You always will have access to water in case there's a fire. So it's not for drinking? Well, I mean, it's certainly for drinking, but the, but the storage and the reason it stays full and in in you're storing water is for the fire protection. I love those water towers. <laughs> <laughs> they're really beautiful. Yeah. Um, what uh, okay? So what else on the list of of other positive well, attributes? Let, let's just well, let's just stay with this twenty five million thing for a second. So I I will buy and agree with you that the public infrastructure benefit is probably minimal and really long term. But let's go back to the idea that if if I can accept ten million gallons onto my property from a sub watershed that exists outside of the golf course, and that's a third or forty percent of the overall water use that I need to pull from an aquifer, look at that value add. Right. Now I can recycle, reuse that water on a facility that's not sending that water out. To get treated. Mm-hmm. And let and let that be my source of irrigation water. Well, and I thought uh, part of the water discussion, I thought when you said water, I thought the discussion was using water artificially. And no. that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about rainwater. 
I mean, the artificial water discussion must not really factor in. And when you say artificial, what do you mean? Palm Springs gets a lot of any any golf course in the desert, right? They're they're putting a lot of strain on water. Yeah, water. Yeah, they're pulling water out. There can't be a positive attribute to that. To irrigate a golf course? Yeah. Well, there is. Really? It's, a, it's called a, It's a. That's the trade off. What is it? So when we were talking today about um, uh, invest that model, yeah. uh, and one of the the letters in there is, is T, and that's for trade offs. Um, okay, so I irrigate my grass. The grass grows. Growing grass is sequestering carbon. I'm pulling carbon from the atmosphere because I'm irrigating my grass. The value add is, and the trade-off is, I'm using a resource to sequester more carbon. What's of more? What's of greater value at that point? In the desert, the water is of greater demand than the carbon sequestration need. But right. if I have excess capacity and all I needed of water, and to continue to irrigate my golf course allows me to sequester more carbon. Now I that's my I don't have that same trade off. Right. Does, mm, you know, do, I, do I get you? No, no, that makes sense. I'm just going to go into the next question, which is basically: so, at what point can you at what at, at what point could you potentially say that a golf course that breaks even? Well, I guess you could. I guess that would be an easy one. A golf course that breaks even is essentially a wonderful investment for the community. Sure, absolutely. And I would even argue that a golf course that loses some money is still of great value to the community because of all of these services that that golf course is providing that aren't being discussed yet. So then, I guess, how do you feel about golf courses that make a lot of money? It's great. Well, to me, it almost, and now I'm almost feeling like that's inappropriate. Like, you shouldn't make a lot of money. Like you, you should, you should merely, if you're, I mean, obviously Depends on what you're doing with that money. What are you doing with the money? Ooh, there you go. That's a good question. I mean, if a golf course is making a bunch of money and they're storing it away and then they're using it to make sure that they're staying, um, competitive in the market. Right. Uh, and they're investing in technology and innovation and they're looking at new grasses and, and they just went through a big regrassing project and they just spent $2 million and they just upgraded their irrigation system and they just spent $3 million on that. And every one of those things is meant to reduce the resource consumption on the property while maintaining function and expectation of the golfer. Fantastic. Right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. We got an ad here today from Audible. Could listening make you a better parent, a better leader, or even a better person? Could listening to motivating fitness programs get you fit? Could listening inspire you to start something new? I mean, I actually believe so. I listen to a lot of things that uh, definitely get me thinking uh, as far as meditation or golf or, you know, just just new ways of thinking about what I love. Uh, there's never been a better time to start listening on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. That's the entire planet. No one on the planet has more audiobooks than Audible. I mean, that's just, these are facts. That's not anecdotal. That is literally a fact. And anyway, now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. Whoa. It's a country club, folks. I'm pretty sure it's not as expensive. Anyway, Dr. Joe Parent's Zen Golf Book is on Audible, and it's recorded with the voice of Dr. Joseph Parent. Chris Nashawati's Caddyshack book is also on Audible. So those are two awesome members of the podcast that you can check out on Audible, which, you know, I'm actually going to do because I didn't read Chris Nashawati's book because I don't have time. So I'm going to check it out on Audible um, probably when I get on my flight tomorrow. Anyway, Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals. You can't hear the Audible originals anywhere else, just on Audible. Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home and at the gym, or on your commute, or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library that you keep forever, even if you cancel. Whoa, dudes, this sounds like an insane deal. Please check this out. Audible is the most the most inspiring minds and the most compelling stories. Audible, the best place to listen. 
Get started with a 30-day trial of Audible when you go to audible.com slash Anders. That's audible.com slash Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S. Or text Anders to 500-500. That's A-N-D-E-R-S to 500-500. That's actually cool. I didn't realize you could just text my name to some number called 500-500. I kind of want you to do that, and I want to see what the hell happens. Once again, you can get a 30-day trial of Audible by visiting audible.com slash Anders or text Anders to 500-500. Here's the deal, guys. A lot of you ask for discount codes and whatnot for all this stuff and that stuff and golf stuff. Dude, go check out Audible. Let's make you a better person by checking out all of this awesome stuff on Audible, whether it's Zen Golf, whether it's the, Nash, uh, the, the Caddyshack book. Or whatever you know, I might I might even come up with like a playlist that I can that I can share on here because this is something I want to get down with. Uh, really excited to be, uh, you know, reading this three minute ad now. Anyway, all right, y'all, check it out. Anyway, it's uh, last time, audible.com slash Anders or text Anders to five hundred five hundred A N D E R S five zero zero five zero zero audible.com slash Anders. Okay, bye. All right, everybody, time to hear from maybe what's soon to become your best friend, Blue Chew. Okay, here's the deal. Do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. I'm talking about increasing your performance and getting that extra confidence. You guessed it, on the driving range. Nope, I mean in bed. Seriously, listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, not the color that your balls were before you got this wonderful, okay, moving on, bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it's the real deal. I've tried it, and I'm afraid to say I couldn't leave the house for beep, and it's the stuff that works, exclamation point. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even eat them in a sandwich. I'm just kidding. I haven't actually looked into that, but the point is, even on a full stomach, because they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. For example, after getting your sandwich at Chick-fil-A and you realize that maybe you were hungry for something else. That's the phone ringing, folks, but it's not Blue Chew calling me to tell me that this ad is unairable. It's someone else calling me to find out if I really use Blue Chew. Anyway, hang on, because here's the deal. This isn't just for guys with dysfunction. It's for any guy who wants extra function and to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Now, here is actually an interesting subject because have I, do I realize that you can always be better at something that you're not the best? Tiger Woods, for example. All right, I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to go any further. Anyway, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. That means that it doesn't say Blue Chew all over it. I'm going to get laid in four minutes. So there's no in-person doctor's visit and no waiting at the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. Unless you eat a lot of blue chew before the date. Okay, moving on. They're made in the USA, and since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. That means you listening right now. Pull over the lawnmower. Get out your pen and paper. You're going to go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free. Free? Wait, hang on. Free? You're going to get your first... Jeez, I'm going to I'm going to text this to everybody except... Mom and Dad, please skip past this. This is embarrassing. Anyway, you're going to get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code ERIC, E-R-I-K. Don't spell my name wrong this time, folks. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue, B-L-U-E, chew, C-H-E-W.com. Promo code ERIC, E-R-I-K, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, folks. You know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter. So your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, 
Torque XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet boost on my feet uh and it has an x-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability literally it's not sane it's literally crazy your feet will literally be like i'm crazy best part it comes in spikeless Ooh, that's tight the first spikeless ever in the history of the tour 360 crazy comfortable and perfect for the course get your pair at adidas.com thank me later follow adidas golf for all the latest and greatest that's all true statements right there check it out go support adidas because they're a good company good people i like it Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right. I pressed record before actually formulating a question. No, they did. Um, what... I think let's just switch gears a second. What did you hear that uh, this this couple of days of the USGA uh, Innovation Symposium that that really kicked you into uh, into thought? Uh, one of the things I heard is that one of the countries that uh, was represented here um, communicates with their golfers. Seventy percent of their golfers expect their communication to be via phone. And 68% of their golfers expect communication to be through traditional mail. That doesn't, what? That freaked me out. That is an aging demographic that is very old school in how they want to be communicated to. At that high of a percentage, that freaked me out. Did you say 70 and 68? Mm -hmm. Oh, two different courses? No, same course. They just said that that's their that that's their primary means and how they want to be communicated with. Right. Yeah, that's that's very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the email was like fifty something. So I mean, it, that wasn't even that high. Well, I really I really book tea times over the phone. I don't I don't like going online or using apps. Um, how do you call? I call. You like to call? Yeah, I just call because it's like I don't know. I just want the answer right away. I know where I want to play, and. I don't, maybe I'm unusual. Uh, I don't know. There's something. There's value in actually making the call. Yeah, I don't like looking around on the app, and then I'm just like, where am I going? I don't know. I used to do the app a lot, though. I used to, I used to use apps a lot. I I think your uh, your interpretation in mine right now is probably a little bit different. I looked at because the country that that um, was making reference to this was a country that they know they've got a huge problem of attracting younger golfers into the market. Which country? The one we're in. Japan. Mm. <laughs> and, okay. And so what did you take away from that? Uh, there needs to be a, a concerted effort to try to, to um, engage younger golfers. Right. Uh, that I mean, seriously, if, if, if paper mail is a, is a prime communication tool to your membership, that is a, uh, that is a membership that really is not tech uh, that, that's i mean it's not even tech savvy because it's 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 mail well i must have missed this uh portion but was this one club or was it many no this was the japanese uh, golf association one of their surveys right yeah because yeah, i mean i know some clubs do send out some mail but yeah, yeah i mean primary it's uh, that's we don't need to focus on this that was just one thing that struck in my mind as we're thinking about uh, player participation, you know, that was one thing that stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah. The other one that was really cool was the golf course that has the windmill. You know, they're they're stationed right on the ocean, and the the club, and they have solar uh, roof over top of their cart storage barn. Uh, they've got wind. Uh, it was a seven year return on investment for being able to sell the power back to the community and pay for the project. Uh, so that was a really cool. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of, of uh, Pasatiempo and their ability to make water um, and then utilize it for their golf facility, but then they can make excess water too, and that's about a 10-year return on investment. 
I know the story about the one with the windmill. I saw that, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is really cool. I didn't know about Pasa Tampa's water-making ability. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, years ago, they have um, whatever the neighboring community is into the mountains, uh, built a water treatment uh, uh, plant, and they uh, there's different colored pipes <laughs> that are in the ground. A purple pipe is non-treated water, and it's usually meant to be discharged somewhere. So, so this water engineer put a purple pipe in the ground just outside of the boundaries of Pasatiempo, and it was sending that water out to the bay because that's what you do. You send you know non-treated water that can't be used again back out to the bay, and the Golf course found out that there's a purple pipe right by them. So let's put a T on that purple pipe, send it into the golf facility. We'll make a treatment plant there. We'll treat that water and then we'll use it for our irrigation. So instead of me spending a million dollars a year on water, uh, let me build a $10 million water treatment plant on site. And in 10 years, I will pay for the fact that I'm not no longer having to spend a million dollars a year on water. That's incredible. Yeah, it really is. So those sorts of innovative ideas in this in this golf course in Japan with the windmill and they're being able to sell back into the grid. Uh, why not? Why not? I didn't. I've been to Pasa Tampa recently, and I did not see this water treatment plant. Do you, yeah, have, have ju- you visited? I did. Yeah, and uh, Justin is the superintendent, and he is um, he is amazing chemist, and he has to be in order to get the right uh, treatment of that water to be able to use because of the criteria from the Department of Health uh, in order to apply it to a golf facility that where golfers are going to interact with it. You can't have any biological materials in it. It's got to be a certain pH, and it's got to have certain levels of salts, and all these things are, are regulated. And he essentially has to make water. He, he He's a water maker. There you go, Justin. He's making it rain. Yeah, there you go. Um. That that's absolutely unbelievable. Where, where is the facility? Um, somewhere hole four or five, right oh, hand side. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they basically pump it back around the entire golf course, mm-hmm. and it works. The golf is the the grass is healthy. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's a great environment for golf already. Sure. Uh, when you come to look at California's, I mean, I'm I live in the desert, so it's a little, it's not. Uh, it's not the most prone for grass, but um, are, are there, there other courses like this? Oh, there's all kind of innovative things that are happening around the globe with, with golf. And, um, you know, anything related to save, the ability to save water, uh, the ability to cut energy costs. Uh, I mean, the robotics that are now being used to, to mow a golf course. Um, uh, the innovation in sensing technology and drone technology that allow us to look for spatial uh, anomalies on a golf course so that we can manage them in smaller units. You know, why do we manage everything uniformly when nothing is uniform? Mm. But we only know it's not uniform unless we study it and and use sensors and technology to know it. Right, right. Maybe it's more expensive. I mean, Uh, like, like, you know what I mean? Sure. The way I usually look at it is like, Unfortunately, golf is stuck in a lot of ways because it's just expensive to be flexible. It's expensive to try, but it's a very conservative industry too. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's expensive to change your mindset. Yeah. You know, and it is expensive to try it. I mean, I wonder if uh, that experience at Pasa Tampa and other successful experiences will, you know, I mean, I don't know if the problem is that at the town hall meeting, people are turning their thumbs down at a golf course, really, what do you see as the problem? The problem with the... With why people are getting together in Tokyo from around the world to talk about the innovation in golf. Uh, is there a problem? Uh, oh, I don't see it as a problem. I see it as the, I see it as the opportunity. But I see it as an opportunity for us to, to drive down our cost but still provide a product. And that product is defined in the eye of the beholder. The person that doesn't play golf, there's still a product there that they can interact with and get value from. But the golfer, they have an expectation of what that product is. So if we can drive down costs and still provide the product based on the expectation of the individual, I mean, that's innovation. Did you get some good feedback? 
I mean, it sounds I mean, from I've never heard anything quite like this. I'm sure that there are a lot of things at this uh, event that I've never heard that are kind of um, maybe n- not maybe maybe people have heard of the things that you're talking about in some form or another. Were people what, what was the response? I think it was great, and there was a lot of very positive feedback. People came up and and they all have their story. Um, uh, one of the guys that came up said, "We've got 54 holes, and the city council wants to close nine of them and and develop it." It would be great to understand the land use, land change component of your research on our property. So if we took nine holes out, what would be the impact on the services that that nine holes provided to the ecosystem? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that was that was his example of what he needed data for. You know, we're switching this whole debate on golf turf management and facilities management from it being the art of to the science of and science is inherently then involves data. So getting more comfortable with the data, how you can interpret the data and how you can make it easily understood is where we're at right now in this industry. Right. Yeah, because it's it's always been about um, collecting data. Um, are you saying that we've been collecting data in the wrong way? No, I'm saying we've been... Um, managing our facilities without data. Whoa, just all together. It, it was a touch and feel business. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look out there and it's like, ah, oh, boy, getting a little dry. Need a little water. I'm going to put 10 minutes down. Well, what the heck is 10 minutes? 10, you... 10 minutes is, means nothing to anybody except for the person that's putting 10 minutes down. I mean, think about that. 10 minutes is related to a volume of water. Is <laughs> that the right volume of water? Well, how would you know that? Well, you got to know what the tank needs. What's the soil need? What's the plants need? Well, how do you know that? Well, you got to sense it and and look and and collect information about it. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if I have ever even realized just how uh, either little or how much attention goes into feeding the golf yeah. course in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah, these superintendents are they are masterful at providing a product to that consumer. Well, it just seems so normal. Cause like in Scotland, you go there and golf just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just walk around on it. It's basically the floor. It's the, it's dirt, it's grass. You take it completely for granted. And then now what I'm hearing is we've basically got to build Mars. We've got to build like a habitable, you know, uh, area for a game. We, we don't, we don't have to, we have. Right, I mean, we, we, it, but but in some places it won't exist without all that. You know what I mean? Like, like in, certainly won't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In most, I would say. I wonder if that that's a good question. I wonder how many golf courses demand. Are, is it called artificial irrigation, or just irrigation? Just irrigation. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many golf courses need that. So supplementing water is required always, mm-hmm. even on courses on the ocean. Um, there are times that the supplemental does not match the need. Right. But as Ben was saying today and has talked about with these short courses that are really pushing the envelopes in, in resource conservation strategies, where do you need that water? Do you need wall-to-wall irrigation coverage on your course? Or can you just focus on those areas that have to have that little bit of extra? Right. And that's where I think we need to go. Um, what? Uh, so was this your first time at the USJ Summit here, the, the Innovation Symposium? No, I've been fortunate. Uh, this is my third. Oh, wow. Yeah. How have you seen a change over the last three uh, sessions? Uh, participation globally. Um, I mean, I know we're in, a, we're in Japan right now, but in Vancouver, we had, we had really good participation. But this one... With our Scandinavian friends, uh, we've got Canadian friends here, um, uh, uh, Central American friends. So there's the, seeing who came. Um, I think I would like to to, or I, I think that the responses that I've received from people that know that that I'm coming here, they've heard about it now. You know, oh, there's a, there's enough track record in in the being in the fifth one. Yeah, and the USGA is using this as an opportunity to incubate as we started this, uh, and and is and is serious about how they invest in these concepts and ideas. That's very cool. You know, I mean, I uh, 
I feel so lucky to be involved. And I just, I, I can tell that, you know, I mean, Rand talked about it a little bit at the end. Um, Rand Jarris, the historian of the USGA and the leadership committee chairman, <laughs> longest title ever, but he'll, he made a joke about it, so it's not me. Um, but, you know, just oh, the sunset outside this Japanese hotel. Is, I'm going to take, you gotta take another picture. Yeah, so anyway, Rand was talking about uh, the uh, fried nature of my brain. No, he was talking about um, how much they have changed as an organization over mm-hmm. the last eight years to changing the um, ultimate sort of end car of their service-oriented business from the, quote, game, an esoteric idea to uh, the golfer, right? Customer-focused. Customer-focused. And so that, I think he was trying to say, is what led to the Innovation Symposium. But but mathematically, I don't think that works because if this is every other year, that's 10 years. No, I, I think they're... they're um, Rand and I have discussed that, that that is now something that they've realized that they've approached this the wrong way. How can we be the organization that we are and, and, and strive to be if our focus is on a game, not the person that's playing it. Hmm. And you got to listen to them. Yeah. And so having this global representation at this meeting gives everyone in that room a chance to know what's going on globally around golf. Right. Yeah, it was very, very inspiring. And um, I'm looking forward to ultimately releasing the videos that we cut together in a, in a different format we made that we cut them all in like one longer video. And so those will come up soon. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Anything you want to share or ask or no, discuss? Uh, uh, this has been great. Um, it, it's been great because I'm a big believer and I'm really excited about this research and this innovation. Um, I'm really proud to be a part of, of this USGA university of Minnesota partnership and research. Uh, and I got a chance to meet an, a new friend, and uh, I look forward to following what you're doing. And uh, adventure golf is is phenomenal. It's a great way to 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 uh, showcase um, all the uh, ways that people engage in golf. Yeah, and and it's not just the traditional. Mm-mm. And that's what I think is so beautiful about it. And uh, do you know where Kirkhoven is? Who? Kirkhoven's Kirk a small town in Minnesota. <laughs> that's where my dad's born. Oh, seriously? Yeah. And my and so I have, where is it? Uh, it's in the middle. It's it's near um, Brainerd. Mal- no, Malax. No, name keep towns. Keep naming towns. Middle Cloquet. No, mid, middle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Kirkoven. It's a small town. Okay, it's very small. I said that. I'm, I'm basically just repeating myself. It, it. I have. We we made a joke about robots uh, not being able to. Being able to take care of a golf course on some level, but not being able to host an innovation symposium. I am now basically a broken robot. My cords are cut. You are done. Thank you for joining me, Brian. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I'm glad you could carry this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Have a good one.